This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Finally, it is time for some honor. Welcome to this month's episode of the Pod of Honor. I'm your co-host, Scott Criscolo. Yes, it's later in the month than usual. Uh, you know, it's schedules. Life, unfortunately, gets in the way. But we all appreciate uh, your patience um, and perseverance uh, because we try to bring you the best we can when we can. And so this month's episode will be a little later. Hopefully, when we get into June... We'll try to get back into the groove of the first Tuesday of the month. Um, we'll certainly try that, but uh, but we're here, and we got another fun show for you this month. Uh, but let me bring in the guy who is the heart and soul. He is the Gabe. Oh, I don't want to call him Gabe. Um, he's the... I don't know. We'll see who he is. Who are you, Steve Aloysius Willie? Well... Here's the thing. I don't remember who I am because I appreciate you spinning it that our schedules were, you know, just pretty busy because the reality is people will pull back the curtain a little bit is that I just repeatedly banged my head on a ring post and <laughs> became massively concussed and just bled all over creation. Uh, I didn't know where I was was I went on the NWA podcast I thought I was on main event, but I was actually doing the NBA team podcast. <laughs> I, I don't even know. So it's it's my fault. I apologize. I want to be honest with the listeners. So in other words, a main event on Dynamite. <laughs> um, Don Callis turning heel. Really? Stupid. Oh, man. I saw, it, I saw it coming a while ago, but after he accidentally cracked his head open... Um, right. In one of the, on one of the few segments with John Moxley where there wasn't supposed to be blood, um, I was yeah. like I, I didn't think it was going to happen because it was it was a bad bad gash. I think we talked about that on the the previous episode of of yeah. main event. Yes, it was it was an ugly gash. I I agree definitely. All right, but uh, we'll talk about that on uh, main event this month. Um, all right, so welcome to episode. Four of the Pot of Honor. These are episodic. They are not, it is not linear. So if this is the first time you're listening to us, welcome. It's great to have you. You can keep listening. But the episodes are not like in parts. But after you finish this episode, please go back to the archive, place to be.podbean.com or any of your podcasting uh, catchers and check out our previous three episodes. They were all exceptionally good. So, Steve, what, uh, um, what do you have in store for I and our listeners this month? Well, this month we are going back to the, speaking of linear, the the first episode that we did where we reviewed the 2002, 2003, 2004 Ring of Honor matches of the yes. year yep. as determined by their cage match ranking. We didn't want to go based on just one reviewer. Right. Uh, whether it be Meltzer or, or, or somewhere now somewhere else, because to be fair, Meltzer didn't uh, review a lot of the early Ring of Honor shows 
um, or much of the later ones. He was, you know, pretty selective in in what he was able to get his hands on on the time because of the huge delay in DVDs. So right. with Cage Match, you're able to get a fairly good representation of what fans think the, the the major matches of the year have anywhere from like 150 to 500 votes on them. So you're getting a pretty fair representation of what the matches of the year are on. And so this week, this month, we're going to do 2005, 2006, and 2007, okay. which, according to Cage Match, are three of the best four matches in Ring of Honor history. And after watching them, uh, none of them I had seen before, um, I can see why. Uh, because all three of them are amazing. Mm-hmm. And a uh, uh, couple of them were two of the three rematches, um, two of the same. And also fitting that I think we are going to discuss a guy who's kind of back in the limelight now. Um, he had been kind of uh, incognito for a couple of years, but he was a he was big in uh, in NXT um, as an announcer and I think as a figurehead, and then kind of vanished. And now he has shown up in uh, in AW slash the new uh, ROH. So uh, and and really three very different matches, even though two of them involve the same. Um, Two of them involve the same people, but even those are two different matches, in my opinion. So why don't we just jump right in? So match of the year or the best match in 2005, Steve, is uh, two guys that I love and two guys that are very different from the two guys that will be in 2006 and 2007, which makes which is why it's uh, a very different match. So give us a uh, tee it up for us. All right, first match from 2005 is from October 1st, and it is the infamous Samoa Joe versus Kenta Kobashi match off of the aptly named DVD, uh, Joe versus Kobashi, uh, rated five stars by Dave Meltzer, the not his all-time favorite match. That would be a, a, a match that happened this past year in 2022. Uh, rated 9.69 out of 10 on cage match, which is about as close to perfect as you can get. Yeah. Um, and what was the date again? Cause I, as I do, I like going to. Yeah. October 1st, 2005. All right. October 1st, uh, uh, OVW. Hmm. I got the entire card right here. If you. Oh, okay. Cause I, I go to, see, I go to the calendar mm-hmm. and then I go to October 1st. Must be when they tape it. Do you think it was live? Oh, uh, so at this time, the shows were well. They would call them live to tape, which I think is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because yeah, I know. <laughs> like, and you tape anything; it's live to tape. That's right. The point. <laughs> uh, but they would tape the event, and especially at this time, it would take a good few months for it to come out on DVD. I don't remember if they were still doing VHS at this point. Uh, But yeah, they would come out. You might get like good three months. There are times and I I would have to go really deep into the the internet of the 2000s to figure this out because there were times where it was much slower, where it would take a good five, six months for the disc to come out uh, until they started going on pay-per-view, which was 07. Because... 
because the last match that we were going to do was delayed on pay-per-view and we can talk about that when we get to it right so this was from uh new york city new yorker hotel grand ballroom i believe this is their debut because this is a bigger venue than they usually go did um so about i heard 750 when i did research in attendance cage match says is about 800 so fairly close um the card Claudio Castagnoli defeats Colt Cabana in I've 750. Heard of, I've heard of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Daniels in a three-way dance defeated Matt Seidel and Azrael. Azrael, I barely remember. I, I think he was one of the special gay guys in a mask. He's 41 now, so. Yeah. So, yeah, that's who I think he was. Um, tag team title match. This was the I forgot about this reign entirely. Wow, Sal Renaro and Tony Mamaluke, uh, you know, formerly of the FBI in WCW, ECW, had a moment later on in WWF, uh, defeated BJ Whitmer and Jimmy Jacobs for the tag team title. So, those must have been just way down the card at this point. Uh, pure title match Nigel McGuinness defeated Jay Lethal in 11 minutes. Uh, a grudge match of Roderick Strong versus defeating Jimmy Rave with Prince Nana and Jade Chung. Jade mm-hmm. Chung, within the last week, was rehired by Impact. I believe she's going to be either a backstage reporter or an announcer. Uh, Rick, this this belie- this is just has to be the match after intermission. Ricky Reyes with Julia Smokes defeats Peli Primo uh, in 47 seconds. Yeah. Uh, James Gibson ah. versus, uh, defeats oh, early TNA stalwart Jimmy Wang Yang in 1547. Wow. Pretty good length match. Yeah, Jack Evans defeats Homicide in 1335. And then our main event, Kenta mm-hmm. Kobashi and Samoa Joe. I had no idea until I first looked at this card because, as you know, uh, Doctor uh, Dr. G and I, of course, do the NWA Saturday special. We 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 pay attention to NWA and Sal Renaro. Obviously, in the back end of his career right now is Sal the Pal. Mm-hmm. He's in he's in the uh, faction with uh, um, um, Gags the Gimp. Yes, a Gimp. Um, and people wonder why Billy's crazy. Um, he's not okay. And, yeah, he's not doing, There's something going on with him. He's not well. No, because trust me, Dr. G and I mention it every week. Um, and uh, Judas. And uh, and so I, I, I'm like, wow, this guy actually won the. This guy actually won a title. This <laughs> is kind of bad shit. Um, so, OK. He's got a belt. Um, I need to, like, look at some of these other matches because. 2005, I remember going to a show in the summertime, and I remember, obviously, I think it's the first time I saw Roddy, and I love Jimmy Rave. Mm-hmm. Um, so I need to find that match. Um, uh, Gibson and Punk were feuding in 05 um, uh, for the world title. And uh, I believe, uh, well, by this point in October, he was in WWE, but I remember... Um, that summer was right after uh, uh, Matt Hardy got fired by WWE during the whole, you know, Lita uh, Edge thing. And mm-hmm. then he was running in and everybody loved him and everything. And then just right 
right before he was going to wrestle Christopher Daniels at this ROH show that I went to, um, he signs with WWE and like he got he got absolutely booed out of the building. <laughs> um, and Christopher Daniels, who I think was acting like his usual heel at this time, uh, got total baby, as Steve Austin would say, total baby. Um, you know, heat or pop, I guess. So I remember a lot of these guys when I went to that show in the summer of 05, but this card actually looks pretty solid. And again, it was at uh, the New Yorker Hotel. Where the hell is that? It's not the Marriott Marquis. I don't know where that is. The New Yorker Hotel. Who knows? Hotel. I feel like off, I've walked off, by it. Off Broadway. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> I feel like I've probably walked by it at some point in my travails. But uh, anyway, so... It for, it's now a Wyndham, it looks like. Oh, okay. Their, so maybe their hotel. Bought. Yeah, they're probably bought. So I... Um, you can go uh, over Memorial Day if you want. Three, 3.19 a night. <laughs> That's pretty good, actually, for... Yeah. It's pretty good for uh, for a, a Manhattan on a holiday weekend. Yeah, twelve minute walk from the Empire State Building. Free there Wi-Fi. Very nice. Um, so I I knew who Samoa Joe was from the feud with Punk the year before. We've talked mm-hmm. about Punk. We've talked about Joe. I did. Um, I did know of Kobashi from the Mags. But I don't know if I've ever actually – I don't know if at this point if I had actually watched a Kobashi match. Um, what was your background? I, obviously, I know you knew Joe, Steve. But what was your background on Kobashi at this point? Well, at this point, I'm guessing around – and this is going to be a rough estimate. Probably around 98, 99 was when mm-hmm. I was kind of in my first prime wrestling, like where I first had like a bunch of really good friends who I'd watch wrestling with. And that was around when we would start – um, ordering like VHS tapes from places, right? And so I remember watching some Misawa and Kobashi then, uh, but this was only the second time Kobashi had been in the United States, and the first one, I don't, I, I just read about it, but I can't remember. It, it was basically against a nobody somewhere on right. the West Coast, and um, but yeah, never, never in a match that had English broadcast. Well, this one didn't even have. We could talk about this any uh, broadcasting at all. It was just the the uh, announcers left to quote unquote watch the match, even though the announcing was done in post. But yeah, only in Japan, only Japanese. Um, I don't even know I had started at this point. So he had Kenta under him. Um, I'm trying to. I can't remember where he was at this point in '05. But you know, older, but not that old. Mm. Uh, again, I, I mean, I knew who he was. Uh, I feel like I um, knew his name through the mags, and I mean, maybe I've seen a match. But my guys throughout the '90s, in terms of um, Japanese wrestlers, were Chono and and Muda. Those were my guys, and I liked Hashimoto because he was just a thick fucker, you know. Oh yeah. Um. Kobashi, I knew that, and I probably saw a Kobashi match in passing, but it never really hit me how good he was and and how he kind of wrestled like like mm-hmm. um how he kind of wrestled like um uh like Hashimoto um 
kind of thick, a lot of bludgeoning. Um, so when I first noticed this match that you picked it, I thought, well, this isn't going to be a nice slap fest. And <laughs> in, tw- I mean, yeah. And 23 minutes and 42 seconds was just non-stop chops, just chops and chops. And, and they did some, I mean, there were some good in, there were some good counter moves and they did some, but I mean, they literally just, it was just, I mean, it, it was the definition of with work rate, uh, meat slapping. And they yes. literally just were just, I mean, there's just, I've never seen a match with so much uh, sweat mist. Uh, oh, yeah. It had to have been so hot in there because it was, especially in Kobashi. And, and for those who haven't seen it, the most famous sequence in this match is Kobashi doing the forever chops in the corner. And I've, I've come up with a different number every time. I've probably seen this match three times at this point. It, it's about 88, 89 chops. In consecutive, yeah. including double-handed ones, uh, where it just has Joe in the corner. And, yeah, it's some of the stiffest chops. And yeah, you don't really see Joe selling big time that much. You know, he was always the monster. But you know, he let Kobashi chop him over the barricade at one point. This is yeah. some yeah, some of the stiffest chops you'll you'll ever see. Um, and I mean it it went back and forth. I don't know who was was Joe. I'm trying to remember if he came into the ring. Was he the champion at the time? Um, the world champion? I don't. Gosh, who was the world there's champion? A, there was no title on the line here. Was it Danielson uh, at this point? Um, He was the... No, because it was... Well, so him and Azriel and Seidel was a title match. It doesn't say it on, on Cage Match. The only, no, t- the only title matches... The only title matches on this card were the Salvinaro and Mamaluke beating Whitmer and Jacobs... And then Nigel um, defeated Lethal in for the mm-hmm. uh, to, to successfully defend. He was pure champion. Nigel. I feel like it was I'm, Danielson. I, I, I wish I wish we talk about Nigel tonight because I just miss Nigel. All right, um, it was it was Danielson because just two weeks before he beat James Gibson for the title. Oh, okay. Because I remember that he. Oh, you know, we'll talk about our, our second match, uh, Danielson and. Nigel both won their individual championships at that time, and that's what led to the match in 06. Right. Yep. Um, and he's not on this card. No. So, he went to Japan a lot still at this point. Um, looking at the announcers, Dave Prezak, Lenny Leonard, and Jimmy Bauer. Yeah, Jimmy Bauer was actually Gabe in a fake in like some kayfabe type oh, situation. And then there, yeah, this was the match. It's like, this match speaks for itself. We're going to go in the crowd and watch it. Uh, but what was, what was cool to me in this match is, you know, they really didn't know what kind of response because they would get, cause there was no streaming. So the only way you would be able to see Kobashi was maybe some sort of YouTube video that you could find, but more tape trading. But everybody in attendance knew who Kobashi was. Right. So some of, yeah, some of the interesting research I, I found on this match, because because there was no announcing, I wanted to at least dig a little bit. Um, that Kobashi wanted this match to be perfect. A lot of times when Japanese wrestlers like New Japan come over to the United States, unless it's a giant event, they kind of phone it in. Uh, they, even wearing like their T-shirts while they wrestled. 
Um, I've seen a couple Tanahashi matches like that where it's just like, eh, I'm just kind of going through the motions. Uh, the, but Kobashi studied Joe tapes because he wanted it to be the perfect match for his first major mm-hmm. U.S. match. And uh, you would think, of, you know, I'm sure Joe studied Kobashi tapes like none other. He's the perfect opponent for Kobashi to kind of do that strong style of wrestling. But for like someone who was already at legend status to do so was, was pretty interesting. Also, found out that they paid Kobashi about ten grand to come over, plus that didn't include travel costs to book him for the weekend because they also did a tag team match the following night, which was Homicide tagging with Kobashi. And I don't even think I've seen this match. Yeah, Homicide and Kobashi. Versus Loki and Joe in a tag match. Wow. Four and a quarter from Meltzer, 8.66 on cage match. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that was a stiff fest as well. That's crazy. All right. I'll have to watch, check that out. That's, so that's on October 2nd. Yep. Um, obviously, I think you kind of knew going in Kobashi was probably going to win because I don't think you'd pay. I don't think he would take any kind of money to go and drop to anybody, even somebody as respectable as Joe. But Joe was a heel at the time, so um, kind of made sense. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I was just – I had never seen, I don't think, that whole uh, 89 chop fest. I mean – and you could tell this was not like, yeah, he was going quick, but it wasn't like he was easing up because he had to go fast. I mean, he was, I mean, he was laying the wood. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it was, it was pretty impressive. It was pretty impressive. I mean, he was laying the wood uh, pretty hard <laughs> on Joe. And like you said, the sweat was flying everywhere. It looked like it was 150 degrees in there with, uh, with the sweat going everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. And then, uh, in the finisher, uh, he put him in a. I have my notes here. He put him not a sleeper. What was it again? There was um, no. Okay, I can't remember that. Joe hit the muscle buster, which right. was really protected, and Kobashi kicked out of it. And then Joe went for his power bomb, which he usually. Like might get a one count and immediately turns into a like an STF or a submission move, and Kobashi was able to get out of that. And then after the chops, he had a sleeper suplex, and I think Joe kicked out there. And then there was this last burst of strikes, and then Kobashi hit right. his giant lariat for for the win. And he, like when I say giant lariat, I mean like. Looks like he chopped, like, just cut Joe's head off with it. Yeah, it was crazy. What a match. And you can find it. It is on uh, It is on the uh, ROH site. Um, oh, no, it's not. No, it's on Daily Motion, I think, yeah. right? Or is it on both? It's on both. Our... This is the one that is on Ring of Honor site. I don't know if it's on YouTube, on the old Ring of Honor Oh, you it's it's one of the easier matches to find in Ring of Honor history. I do have to say one of the downsides to all streaming, and this isn't AEW Ring of Honor, like WWE has the same problem. Mm-hmm. It's the the muting of the music as they come to the ring. Yes. It, it stinks because not only do you miss the music, but you're also missing 
the introduction to the match. So if you don't know who the people are, or if you're watching in a vacuum and you haven't seen the other cards leading up to it, you don't have that information. So this match, it didn't really matter that much because it's a complete one-off dream match type type deal. So it doesn't really matter, but it just kind of kills the vibe a little bit where you don't get the reaction of of Kobashi coming out or or Joe coming out. So um, it looks like there's it looks like ROH's um ROH's YouTube channel Oh, let me turn the volume on. <laughs> uh, it looks like there's two. This one here, it's their 18th anniversary collection. It's just three brutal Samoa Joe matches in ROH. And the matches are... Um, this one, current list? No, it doesn't say what they are. Of course it doesn't, uh, in the description. Uh, this first one, uh, I think this is the one... Kobashi came in. Did he? Was this the one? He can't. I don't know why I'm blanking on this, but did Kobashi come in with a robe? Orange robe, yep. Okay, this is. I think so. Oh, no, black robe. Okay, so it's on here. So, so if you you go on ROH's site, it says three brutal Samoa Joe matches in ROH. The clip is over an hour long, but that's the first match. And then I think there's a clip on ROH. On ROH's YouTube channel, um, let me see if this is the same match. But you get uh, a alternate commentary with Ian Riccoboni and uh, Todd Sinclair. Hmm. Um, but I'm pretty sure this is the same match. Uh, I'm just kind of forwarding. It the should be if it's clip here. Uh, uh, yep, the thing, yep, yep, that's it. So it is on, if you go to ROH's, um, we watched it on Daily Motion, but if you go to ROH's, uh, YouTube channel, there are, it is on there in two forms. There's one, uh, that's a montage of Joe matches, and it's the first one, so you don't have to, like, fast forward it. And then there's one, uh, that Ian Riccoboni and, uh, and Todd Sinclair uh, do, like, alternate commentary. It's kind of like, you know, like those old DVDs, extras with, you know, commentary. So, um, so it is on YouTube for those that want to, that want to catch it. It is not on, it is not on, and I don't know why it's not on, uh, the R, the ROH stream, which, oh, oh, oh it is on the, it is on, I keep forgetting the name of the, the watch ROH. It is on there. That's why I watched that one. Oh, I watched it on daily motion. I yeah. think <laughs> this is the only one. And I had the DVD too, but um, I don't have it anymore. Uh, uh, so, yeah, that that one is on Ring of Honor. The next two are not, which yes. I have thoughts. I have thoughts. So, I have thoughts. I have thoughts too, actually. So that's your that's our first match. Check it out from from October first, two thousand five, from the city. Uh, it is Samoa Joe and um, and Kenta Kobashi. And you can watch it on almost all the streams. Watch ROH has it, YouTube has it, Daily Motion has it. So, um, so uh, check it out. All right, Steve, let's go to 2006. 2006, and of course I, I lost my spot, but let me get to it real quick. 2006, uh, the match is one of many between Brian Danielson and 
and Nigel McGuinness. Yep. This match famous for many reasons. Uh, one of which is the violence that I alluded to at the top of the program. The second yes. of which is that it is a unification match where Brian Danielson puts up his heavyweight title. Nigel McGuinness puts up his pure championship. Winner gets takes all. And it is held under pure wrestling rules, which is a gimmick that Ring of Honor came up with. Um, I will give you the. What's the date? See. It is August 12th, 2006. Also gave this. Yeah, it unified four and three quarter stars, 9.63 on cage match. Um, I can now the, 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 the show gets a 9.28. So while you're doing yeah. that. Let, uh, let me uh, help you out, and I will read the rest of the card. This match, of course, was a t- was the uh, main event. So was, there was a four corners survival match: Matt Seidel against Cole Cabana and Johnny Storm and Spud. Um, yep, that's Spud, maybe, Rockstar Spud. Yep, Rockstar Spud. So uh, what's his name? Maverick, Johnny Maverick. Mm-hmm. What the fuck was his name? No, that was Rockstar Spud. Was a different guy. Wasn't oh, he? okay. Yeah, you're right. Or, or was he not? Right. No, I think actually, no, I Rockstar think Spud was. Uh, Dream yeah, match. you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Um, Davey Richards defeated Jimmy Rave in 2309. Oh, I definitely got to watch that match. I just loved you. We may need to. I, I got to be honest, Steve. We may need to do a Jimmy Rave episode. That might be good. That might be. Yeah, we should talk about that. That might be a good one to get Kevin on, or even I know our like Nate and uh, our guy Chris Ely have contacts with Prince Nana as well. So that, I love that, Prince that, Nana. Yeah. Be careful. He might sell you some crypto. <laughs> that's, that's a shoot, brother. Yeah, that's a shoot, brother. Uh, BJ Whitmer defeated Claudio Castagnoli. Wow, BJ Whitmer never got wins that big. Um, <laughs> Cole Cabana wrestled again, and he beat Chris Hero. Uh, Doug Wilson, Doug Wilson, uh, <laughs> Doug Williams, and Jody Fleisch defeated Go Shiazaki and uh, Suwa. S-U-W-A. For the FWA British heavyweight title, the champion, Robbie Brookside, defeated Chad Collier. I don't know if that match was on the DVD. Hmm. Should I know Robbie Brookside? Robbie Brookside is one of the uh, very famous um, English wrestlers, like kind of world of sport wrestlers. Um, He is... I believe still working for WWE. He was a trainer at uh, NXT UK. And I think he went to the Performance Center and still works there. Oh, okay. Um, And then the uh, for the tag team titles, Austin Aries and Roddy Strong successfully defended against uh, the Briscoes in 2358. Yeah, I'm sure that's... That average match rating... Is eight seven four. Yeah, that's probably four four stars at least with yeah. that rating. So, and then we get to our main event: Brian Danielson, our world heavyweight champion; Nigel McGuinness, our pure champion, in a title versus title. Um, obviously, Nigel, the home team. I totally forgot he had that fucking spiky hair. To me, he always oh, looks yeah. like NXT announcer. <laughs> yeah, like... he, well, and also, you forget how thick he was. Yeah, like how because you know he's he's still looks in great shape now, but he's he he's, he looks healthy. He's like thinned out. He's not like got, doesn't have the wrestler 
body, the football body, but he is a thick guy here. Like probably yeah, a good 225, 230, I'd say. Um, so yeah, I wanted to just quickly go over. I, I had the I have the DVD of this, so I was I've I've watched it once before, but um, I don't remember if I watched it on DVD or elsewhere. So it was nice because then I had the entire intro. And rare for this time, they had quick interviews with each man. And uh, the one, Danielson's wasn't that important, but Nigel's like, I've held this title for one year and I want to get this championship. And he, quote, hasn't spent a year of my life getting dropped on my head for nothing. Yeah. Yeah, well, just wait. So he beat Samoa Joe for the Pure Championship. Danielson, as we just said, beat uh, James Gibson. Each of them have had their title for a good year. Um, Danielson's wow. slightly over, or just less than a year. Um, same with Nigel, it's just about 12 months. And so the rules for Pure Wrestling in Ring of Honor, and I'm going off the top of my head here, mm-hmm. so I probably forgot something. The main thing is that you get three rope breaks, meaning if you put your foot on the rope for a pinfall to break it up, if you get to the ropes to break a submission, after you get three, you can't do a rope break anymore. So if you're in the ropes and you put your foot on the rope, they can still count to three. If you're, if like Tajiri puts on one of his, the octopus in the ropes, technically you could get tapped out on that. If you've used up your rope breaks, the other, I know it's really a cool move. And I, I just heard that uh, the house of black started using the no rope breaks for their trios title defenses in AEW. So I don't know how that will go, but it could be kind of interesting because like twisting someone in the ropes is, you could be pretty inventive with that. And the other ones. Okay. I think there's a 20 count on the floor. Or in this match, I believe the count went to about 175 at one point. <laughs> so, the, you so can, that's, let me. So, so Steve, the 20 count thing wasn't that in like was it world class or didn't AWA back in the day? Didn't they use a 20 count? Maybe I'm. I don't know. Okay. I feel like I've seen a 20 count. World class definitely had a count. And if Bronco Luvich was counting, it might have been 79 as well. <laughs> One of the best referees of all time. Couldn't even bother to get down on the ground to count. Yeah. I don't have time for this. Yeah. <laughs> but in Ring of Honor, they really didn't have a count out. So that's why it was unique at the time when they started this. Right. Um, in Ring of Honor now, I mean, AEW has essentially a count out. They don't usually use it. But yeah, it's it's but they they still use the other rules. The other rule that I'm aware of is that if you punch someone, you get warned the second time you're disqualified. I I didn't realize there were this many rules. I thought pure yeah. was just like just like grappling stuff. I didn't realize there was actual like rules rules. That's yeah, funny. there's a there's a bunch of them, and I think it was a little bit of uh kind of going to that British style, right. Uh, but yeah, usually that's what it's more known for. You can, it's in a way, I like the booking style of it because you can use those rules to tell more stories. Mm-hmm. 
the way Nigel beat Joe was, I can't remember the exact finishing move he did, but Joe's foot was on the rope, but couldn't use it because he had used all of his rope breaks. So Nigel wins the title, but also Joe can say, you know, if kayfabe wise, like, yeah, yeah, I didn't really lose. I had my foot on the rope. Like if it was a regular match, I would have kept going. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you can tell stories with the count out. Um, also with the breaks, it's a little bit of best of two out of three style. Uh, and then you can also decide not to use them. So there's little different things you can use, but really the point of it was to showcase more grappling and striking, uh, not as much, you know, kind of more of the flippy type rest, like high flying wrestling. It wasn't for that. It was to bring that different style in. Right. And it's like with Ring of Honor today, like the, the guys who usually go for it are Wheeler Yuta, Daniel Garcia, uh, more more mat based guys. Uh, tradi- mm-hmm. more traditional, like Zack Sabre Jr. would be a guy who would go for it. Like a Jonathan Gresham had it for a while. So, so type Tracy Williams is another guy that comes to mind that I think that went for it. So all these guys who are more, you know, just for lack of a better term, just like wrestler wrestlers. Right. And I enjoyed, uh, like, Danielson kind of playing it up as a heel. I was really digging it. Because obviously he was kind of working the heel side of it, being in the, amongst the the crazy throng in England, seventeen hundred. Uh, it was a huge crowd for them. Yeah, and I mean they were they were going at each other, and and I definitely feel like this match um, and our next match worked very differently. Um, uh, this one. Uh, seemed much more emotional, or I feel like the other one was much more methodical. But we'll get to that one in a minute. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I feel like Danielson's like chemical persona during the ROH years was almost his best. Um. Uh. And I think going to the big promotions, I almost think kind of hurt him. Um, uh, and because I understand having kind of a personality, I'm trying to think where I'm going with this. ROH didn't have to totally rely on all of the charisma part. You can have it, but obviously ROH had a very different um, way of, um, you know, way of thinking in terms of their characters. And I feel so much like uh, Danielson just was all about, yeah, he was this, you know, clean shaven and, and, you know, burgundy tights, burgundy boots, but man, could he, could he take you out? And, uh, you know, Nigel was Nigel, you know, the spike and the thick and just so different um, uh, than, he would be when he goes to eventually to WWE and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, and obviously he is now. Right. I kind he, of now he, he has a little bit of all of his personas, I think right now with his character that you could see some of this, like the, in his, uh, combat club character, yep. the, some of the like devious, uh, dickish 
actions that he does. Like, like him on commentary this past Wednesday or this past week on Dynamite when when Callis turned heel. And uh, he's like, oh, and I can see he's like, oh, my God, look at this. It's like yeah. crazy. It's yeah, like he has he's a, legitimately enjoying it. You a know? little bit of goofiness, which I think is his actual personality that yeah. he showed in WWE with, like, say, the Kane stuff. Right. But when it comes down to it, he really, really likes this hard hitting grappling. Go down in the mat for 20 minutes style of wrestling and when he was trying to get out of his contract in the wwe when they wouldn't let him wrestle because of all of his injuries right he was legitimately perfectly fine with going and wrestling 300 people on indies right. and you know making a thousand bucks per show he was more than happy to do it and in my opinion wwe was correct at that time and like no we'll we'll pay you to do nothing right because, you know they didn't you know, as, as much as WWE can be criticized for a lot of things, you know, they didn't want him getting massive CTE on their watch. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, we've always we've talked a lot here on our show on here, Steve, and on main event and other shows about headbutts and stuff. We know who the, you know, you know, who probably got most affected by flying headbutts and we won't go down that road. Yeah. But, um. But this one was just, I mean, it was stiff, and there was a lot of, like, like Danielson jawjacking, and it, it was very unique for the two of them. And I, I was, I, I, I ate it up, and I tell you something, talking about hometown pops, watching Backlash, and we talked about that on Main Event. This oh, week, God, yeah, that's great. Um, you know, when you get those international crowds, you're going to get, a different level of energy than you get here in America. And obviously I'm talking about, you know, bad bunnies pop, which he wouldn't get that. I mean, yeah, he's popular, but he wouldn't get that kind of pop here that he did in his backyard in Puerto Rico. Same thing with Nigel here. And, and, and Danielson used that to tell the story. And it was just, it was exceptional. It was absolutely exceptional. Yeah. Um, and the, the quick highlights, I can do the, the rope break stuff. Um, caused Nigel's first rope break. Danielson gave him his butterfly suplex into a cross arm breaker. Um, I think like in the second rope break, um, cattle mutilation by Danielson. So Nigel's already has two rope breaks at that point. Right. Uh, Brian lost his first rope break when Nigel gave one of his finishing moves, which was the Tower of London. Tower of London uh, opponents beat around the top turnbuckle, then kind of give him a cutter off of it, like a hanging cutter. Right. I, like kind of like a reverse DDT that Randy Orton does when the Feet are hanging off the ropes. Um, yep. Then he gave Brian a cattle mutilation. So that was the second one. And then that was when they just completely fought outside the ring. And Nigel busted his mouth on the table. And Danielson put in a cross-faced chicken wing. And that was Nigel's third rope break. And then Nigel hit one of his huge lariats, uh, which was, and Danielson got his foot on the rope. So at that point, all the rope breaks are gone. Um, and so right. then they start doing like your kickouts and, Danielson had like a cross race while they were tangled up in the ropes. Uh, but then the worst part of the match comes. Uh, my other criticism of this real quick, the camera work in this was horrible. Absolutely yeah. horrible. The white, the white balance is off. The heart cam kept zooming in and out. And it like, not like weird angles. Yeah. It, the, yeah. Your, the ringside camera wasn't in focus a lot of the time. 
But yeah, they were fighting out in the crowd, and both of them lined up on either side of the ring post, which was a uh, a square, so hard edges, and Nigel pulled Danielson's shoulder into it, and then Danielson pulled Nigel, who then repeatedly hit his head hard way, no blading, busted his head open. I'm sure if I did research... Like I've I've met Nigel a couple times. I've talked to him online about you know podcasting stuff. Uh, I assure you that he would say he regrets doing this mm-hmm. uh, because you know he had concussion problems after it. This was it could have been much worse. It, it was equivalent to the Okada Shibata headbutt, oh, God. pretty much for me. And oh. and and even in the next match that we'll talk about, there was something similar. Yeah, uh, but it, it was. I, at the time, it was like, "Whoa, that's so crazy!" Now it's it's disgusting, and yeah. it's. I wouldn't rate this match the same as I would say, a few years ago. But yeah, apparently the ref forgot to count out because they were outside for about three minutes. Uh, eventually, the the finishes. Danielson has the cattle mutilation on Nigel. They're in the ropes, uh, so they can't break. So Nigel rolls into cover. But Danielson reverses that into the elbows to the head, which both he and Moxley and the uh, combat club use to this day. And uh, ref stopped the match at that point. So Brian Danielson is the winner, unifies the title, basically retires the pure title after this match. And I don't think it comes back for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, not until 2020, not until they kind of rebooted um that that's that was an idea i had to do for a future episode in 2020 during the pandemic when they were completely shut down they did a tournament for the pure title in front of no people uh oh, but yeah. it was it was some pretty good wrestling and it was um it was pretty fun because they had a uh like a time limit a very strict time limit that was on the screen so it might be worth worth looking into hmm so, because then they get rid of the pure title, and then they create the TV title at some point to kind of replace the, like, a mid-card belt, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. I just don't remember where that is. Mm. So, check this one out. It is uh, this match we watched on... Uh, is that uh, Vimeo? V-I-M-E-O? I don't know how to pronounce that. Yeah, this one's on Vimeo. Yeah. Yep, that yeah, I, I just had the DVD of this one, and uh, yeah, well, wait, let, let's let, let's quick bounce into the other one real quick because the other one is Danielson versus Nigel too. Um, they had a like, I, I found a playlist on our our old friend from a long ago. I don't remember what show this was. If it was the first episode that we did of this podcast, right? Where we, we used Billy Billy, which is like a Chinese YouTube service yeah, that we did. Chad uh, Campbell hooked us up with. Yeah, we did. Uh, and there's a pretty cool playlist. And I know there's a DVD that's out of print that has all of the Danielson Nigel matches on it. And they've actually faced each other something like eight, eight to 10 times in Ring of Honor, eight times in singles matches. I want to say three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Now I stand corrected 12 times they wrestled in Ring of Honor in singles matches. Wow. Ranging from. 06, so the year that we just did, to 09, which was both of their last matches in Ring of Honor before 
they both tried to go to WWE. So wow. I'm going to this one. This one is June 23rd, 2007 is when it was taped. But it I was found it. It's it it says at the Frontier Fieldhouse in uh in Chicago Ridge. And uh oh, um, we might have watched different ones. Uh no, I'm looking at the wrong Oh, this must be a different night then. Because this was in Philly. Uh this oh, was okay. I'm looking at the Chicago one. Sorry. Okay. Was it June night? See that that's the thing that's we are talking about the pay-per-views and how historically the DVDs came out a few months later. Well they tried yeah, was... towards the end of Gabe's run doing traditional linear pay-per-view. Right. The problem was is that they would pre-tape these shows and then take some of the matches, edit them down, and put them in like a, I want to say like a two and a half hour window on pay-per-view, and they would dub over the match with commentary, which it was cool because they were able to intersperse like, oh, here's Nigel McGuinness. Here's a bunch of little clips of Nigel McGuinness, and here's some of the moves you can look forward to. And this is his driving factor of what he's looking for. So it's pretty cool, but also like these matches had been around for months. So you had the card already released. Yeah, this is the one. So it was I, June 9th was the initial date. The yeah, number June one 9th. contenders match. Yep. At the armory. At the armory yeah, in Philly in a show called ROH Dominion. So you can buy this show as a DVD Ring of Honor Dominion. However, the pay-per-view was called Ring of Honor Driven. Right. So, yeah, super confusing. Um, yeah, th- yeah, I, I hate this stuff. <laughs> it's, it's so confusing to figure out what match is, is what. Um, so this is what I have. Uh, obviously, this was not the main event, though, because uh, I because uh, neither guy was champion at this moment. Um, Morishima was champion and he fought Roddy Roddy in the main event. Mm-hmm. Um, but here was the rest of the card. The dark, a lot of dark matches. Was that like a Was it a gimmick or something? Um, a dark four corners match ROH top of the class trophy title. Oof. That. This was that literally like a, a giant like trophy a that their their students fought over. Oh, okay. Well, Pell Primo won it. He beat Alex Payne, Mitch Franklin, and Rhett Titus. Rhett Titus. Back mm-hmm. when he was a rookie. Um, Damian Wayne defeats Rex Sterling in a dark match. Oof. In a dark tag, uh, Azriel and Deranged defeat Gran Akuma and Michael Elgin. Hey, your pal. Um, who the hell was Deranged? Deranged, I think, was one of Special K2. Because they had the, that whole crew. But yeah, these are just like, like Gran Akuma is a out of Philly, like retired for a long time, but he was a longtime Chikara guy. Um, Matt Seidel defeated Hollow Wicked. <laughs> yep, another Chikara, longtime Chikara guy. Uh, in a singles match. Daisy Hayes against Lacey wrestled to a time limit draw. Uh, Generico and Steen. Who are those guys? Um, wait a minute. I thought they never tagged before. No, I know they did. Um, defeated Jigsaw and Mike Quackenbush. 
Yeah, so this was a heavy Chikara-influenced show. Uh, Davey Richards defeated Matt Cross. Matt Cross went up wrestling in the NWA a little bit right before the pandemic. And they um, did Lucha Underground, too. Yep. Delirious defeated Rocky Romero. In a four-corner survival match, Brent Albright defeated BJ Whitmer, Eric Stevens, and Jimmy Rave. In a best two out of three falls, this had to have been a fucking stud match right here. Two, uh, two straight pins... Uh, the Briscoes held on to their tag titles against uh, the Kings, Hero and Claudio. And now this one. And then the main event, which is not our match, Takashi Morishima successfully defended the ROH world title against Roddy Strong. Um, all right. So this match is a little different. Again, pure title's gone. Neither guy's got the world title. This was just a fight. And like I said, I feel like this match had a different kind of tone to it than mm-hmm. than the one in 2006 did. Obviously, no titles on the line, no pure rules. It was, uh, I felt like there was a very different um, tone or feel to this match. Even a pacing that was very different than, um, uh, than the 2006 match. Very much so. It was... Man, I'm I'm still having a tough time figuring out which is is which here. I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, because it's a yeah. Hold on one second. Uh, if you can keep talking for a moment. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Never mind. I got it. Yeah. Th- this was. Yeah, the cage match has this messed up because uh, the pay per view that they showed was a combination of multiple events. There were two events on here. So yeah, we were right. So, yeah, aired in September 2007. Yeah, this was. It was almost more mat wrestling than, ironically, even the pure match was. There was just a lot of back and forth on the ground and then slapping and clotheslines. But it was there was more evil intentions around it. Like Danielson, I remember, was like, you know, just like. Perfectly legal, but like digging his fist into like the side if he had a hold on, or, right. or like popping him in the ear if he had a you know had an arm lock on him or something like that. Um, Nigel, this is just off of memory. I have stuff written down, but just trying to make this point of like the little things that they did differently. Uh, he was trying to get his arms, and Danielson was fighting off, so he just slugged him right in the lower back, and like just a kidney punch to get his arm. And it feels like that went on for a good 10 minutes, but it didn't feel like some matches these days. Well, they're just like, okay, here's our first three minutes. Well, we'll just do just regular sequences. Like I'll put you in a leg lock and then you'll kip out of it. And then I'll do an arm drag and you'll do an arm drag. And then we'll both kip up and look at each other. Kind of those things that they've done really since ECW days. It's just like, yep, okay, this is the part where we bat wrestle. This was, like you said, it was more of a, I'm going to take you down, and I'm going to beat the shit out of you and stretch you. Now you're going to reverse, and you're going to beat the shit out of me for a minute or two. Right. There was no, like, posing to the crowd or anything like that. No, no. This is a brawl. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, again, just the tone was very different. Um, Now... Danielson obviously would roam around for a couple more years. 
he would finally he would end up, of course, in NXT. Well, I would say probably two and a half years because that season technically was 2009 into 2010 because it was 2010 was, of course, the Nexus storyline. And yeah. Him choking out Justin Roberts with the tie, which I thought was, you know, kind of funny. Well, of course, um, so did Justin Roberts. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Um, he want Danielson fired. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was definitely a very different, uh, a very different um, feeling of a match than than the one the year before. No titles. It was just it was just violent. And mm-hmm. they kind of went all out a little bit that they didn't do the first time. Very different in, in that tone. What, what do you? What were your differences that you that you saw between the two matches? Just the intensity level, which you think, well, gee, Steve, they were fighting on the ground and they were throwing each other into the posts over and over again. But that had a build to it. This one started from the get go. So we've fought each other a million times. We know each other's moves and everything we do is going to have a little bit of extra infinite. So I, I talked about the Tower of London before. Usually you, you know, set the guy up. It takes time. This he like had him in a sting scorpion death lock, flipped him over his shoulders and like, oh, oh, my God, he's in the spot. Boom, he nailed him. Um, like the, the the slap fests where they just, you know, something you see a lot of now, but just like, continually slapping each other right in the face um this time there were actual headbutts and i again it felt like that it was not a blade they actually bumped heads together and the next thing you know without even falling down danielson's bleeding all over the place so yeah just every single thing felt a little snugger uh a little stiffer um Brian Danielson won this too. I thought Nigel was going to win this match, but um, Nigel again passed out this time in the cattle mutilation, so a ref stoppage. Yeah. Yep. And um, where would Nigel go from here? He he'd hang around a little longer, right? Would he? Yeah, they finished off together. Nigel. Ended up winning the championship. Here, let me get back into. Not long after this. And I, I remember he lost it to Jerry Lynn. Going into. Match guide for Nigel. So this was what we said, 2007. He's trying to remember where he when he wins a belt here. It doesn't really say on his match guide. Let's see. World champion October 6th. So shortly after this aired is when he won the championship. He held it for about a year and a half. And I remember he lost it to Jerry Lynn at a WrestleMania weekend card. Uh, he then finished up wrestling Danielson at the end of 2009. Both of them were going to get signed by WWE. Danielson did, but Nigel didn't due to something they saw in his physical. WWE signed in his physical, and then he was unsigned, ended up going to Impact for a while before he retired due to injuries. And also, I think he 
was just John mentally. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, still like very short, but very solid run in TNA as as yeah. Desmond Wolf. Yeah. Great all time matches with Kurt Angle. Yes. And was he? Was he kind of in the same group with like Aldis and, or was that at, that was well after, right? He, wasn't, he was, he was with James Storm, Robert Roode, and Sting at one point. What what group was that? This this is Nate's going to know was more. That the main of, well, was that the main event mafia? I think so. Right, and because they were in Beer Money, mm-hmm. but I feel like, but I feel like when he was Desmond Wolf, he was wasn't he part of the original like Commonwealth Connection or whatever the. Or the British Bruce. Oh, no, he wasn't. I know what you mean. He was with Doug Williams, though, I think, a bit towards the end. I love Doug Williams. Talk about yeah, a $2. Yeah, so good. Oh, such a $2 steak. Love him. Um, I'm good. I got a little bit of, during the pandemic, he was in uh, NWA. As a matter of fact, him and Davey, uh, little Dave, little baby bulldog, were the tag team champions for a brief time. And then, oh, sweet. Davey. And then Davey left. Um, <laughs> I think they, they made up that he had COVID, but it was really more like he had he COVIDed out the door. Um, uh, and I think he wrestled in, I think Mania Weekend, he wrestled for GCW. But then again, who doesn't? I think he was one of those <laughs> one of those Ukrainian Cultural Center shows in L.A. Hmm. Um, so before we wrap up, Mike, I got a, I got a question as I watch these first three. Because again, Steve... It, you're awesome, and that's why I love doing the show with you because you're opening doors to me that I don't totally, never totally opened uh, as I'm watching different matches. But did you feel after watching the 020304s and then these three, what were the similarities or what were the differences as Ring of Honor was evolving during that first decade? I think those first, like, first three years, Ring of Honor was a little bit more underground. Uh, working in these like gyms, uh, like saying they were they were in Boston, but were actually like two hours away from Boston, um, having a hard time finding their footing, and it was really just a way for RF Video to make money off of ECW. When they started splitting off and bringing in, trying to develop more people and having Gabe have more power and Carrie just kind of silken, just being the money guy. They started to try to do new things. And there were times like this undercard that you read for, I want to say the 06. No, not the 06 one. Cause that was the one in England. That was a pretty good, uh, this 07 one good undercard. but the, like 07, when you were looking, I was like, man, there's a lot of crap in that undercard. And this was uh, towards the end of, of Gabe's run where, yeah, their top of the card was amazing, but having guys like Pelly Primo and Eric Stevens, who, Eric Stevens was okay, uh, but, you know, not a needle mover by any means. Um, they were, like, trying pay-per-view. They were trying to be seen on a larger scale, and then production value was a little bit better, but they would go around to say like Chicago and each time the crowds would be bigger. You could see that they were growing over the course of three or four years. Uh, they were trying to get involved more with like mania weekend. Okay, let's try England and see what happens. I'm pretty sure they do Japan at some port point uh, around this. So just trying different things, trying to bring in more international people. 
they brought in like Dragon Gate guys. They brought like Morishima. They brought him in from Japan. They didn't do that stuff in the first few years. They were, they were taking more chances. Right. And then they, I, I agree with you. And I, I obviously we will do, I like doing this in threes. This is pretty cool. So a few months down the line when we do, you know, 2008, 2009 and 2010, I have a feeling that, that the, the tone of the company will change again, because I feel like when I really started to really clue in on ROH, which was about 2010, 2011, I feel like the roster was much more stabilized rather than bringing in as many outsiders. Yeah. Do you feel that way as we head towards the end of the decade into the 2010s? Yeah, especially around 2009 to 2010, there's a huge shift and then it's stable where you start losing some of the guys to the WWE um, but also you start getting the HD net days where they had the TV. So they were trying to be a little bit more consistent on storyline. Um, right. Yeah, right. Like, it, it's still really, really good. No seven, oh eight, no nine. In fact, I think it might be more consistent in those years, but there starts to be a big shift after that going to a, like the next generation, I'd say um, like Davey Richards um Tyler Black, uh, you know, slash Seth Rollins, um, Generico and Steen, um, a little bit more Cabana. Uh, Trying to th- think, because um, they had the big Steen and Generico rivalry for a while too. Um, Roderick Strong eventually, and then Eddie Edwards was kind of that was kind of the transition years right there. Um, so it was a little business went down a bit. But it was more consistent, not as good, but consistent across the line. And they were doing more pay-per-view events uh, more often. So there's some right. good stuff in there. But there's also like Charlie Haas, which, you know, less said about him, the better. <laughs> um, so there you go. There's a there's, there's a three match, three match of the years from those three years. So now we have O2. If you're keeping tabs, so it's still technically not a, uh, it's still technically not, um, uh, uh, you know, episodic. But if you want to go chronologically with these match of the years, then definitely go to our first episode, which came out back in uh, February, where we did uh, the match of the years from 2002, 2003, and 2004. Um, 2002 was the triple threat from the very first show. Uh, Danielson, uh, Xavier, and um, and uh, Daniels. Then um, 2003 was that London AJ match, which is really good. And then 04 was one of the uh, Joe Punks. So, yeah, because by 2007, uh, uh, like Punks, uh, well, Punks obviously gone. He's in WWE. Um, Joe's in in um, Impact because he's already in TNA because he's already knee-deep in that awesome feud he had with Kurt. Um, so, but uh, check that out. So if you want to, if you want to, for this episode, if you want to, if you, if you listen to this one already, it's okay. It's not chronological. But check out our first episode. Well, check out all of them. But if you're going strictly on our Match of the Year series, go back to episode one where we did the matches of the year from 2002, 2003, and 2004, and then you can, and then you'll go in a row. And we will in a few months, uh, we will go back and do our next, uh, the next uh, trios, 2008, 2009, and 2010. Uh, Steve, you're awesome. Well, um, you are too. Uh, another great uh, show in the books, everybody. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Steve, where can everyone find you? 
Uh, everyone can find me on social media on Instagram at Steve Willie one. And you can find me on this program. I do with Scott Chris Colo called the main event. And oh. also recently it's on, um, Dan, this is an evergreen episode. In fact, you can listen to it anytime. Um, you know what that means? I believe it was episode number. I can't remember what episode it was, but it was <laughs> the AEW ring of honor draft show, yep. uh, that yep. coincided with the WWE draft and the NFL draft happening on the same week. And uh, that was a really super fun show that I got a lot of positive feedback from. Um, it was just Andrew Reish, Jordan and I each getting a team to draft. Only we had several rules in it, such as I could not draft with being the ring of honor guy until the 11th round. Um, so they got <laughs> 20 picks in before I could pick anybody. Um, it, it was a lot of fun. And I actually got a hell of a roster having to wait that long. So yeah, go, go and check that one out. I highly recommend it. That, that one is on the North South connection feed, but usually you can find me on the place to be nation wrestling feed because we're OGs. We don't need to split up any, an anywhere else. You, you are definitely an OG, Steve. A precious one at that. Uh, obviously you can follow me on Twitter at Scott C Podfather, but please follow the brand on Twitter at PTB and wrestling. We have a lot of fun over there. I do the wrestling time travel every day. Um, as a matter of fact, this week that we're taping, um, there were a few ring of honor shows that took place in March over the years, uh, March, uh, May. And uh, so we do that every day. We post the pods on the, on Twitter every day. Of course, you could see all of our pods on all of the podcatchers, and uh, you can go right to the source, place to be.podbean.com as well. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, join us next month. We'll come up with a really cool topic and have a lot of fun with it and throw the streamers. So, for Steve Willie, I am Scott Criscolo. Thank you for being honorable in the pot of honor. Thank you.